Hello and welcome once again to episode 80 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So oftentimes you'll need someone to make a decision on behalf of the team, a choice of architecture or set of trade-offs. So Spencer, how do you go about asking for a decision to be made? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's generally not me making the decisions. So it would be um, maybe something along the lines of you've got, um, I don't know, some sort of meeting. Um, For example, we have like a backlog grooming. And so that's often where we kind of will plan what we're going to be doing in the near future, whether it's a story or, or bugs we need to fix. But oftentimes, at least... In my in my position, I'm not necessarily the one um, making the decisions or or anything, but perhaps more um, asking for decisions, like you're saying, and saying, "Well, I don't perhaps know what to work on, uh, you know, or perhaps how to do this." So I think kind of a a small but concrete example was I was working on a um a bug uh i don't know wednesday or thursday and i wasn't quite sure how to go about it and so i messaged my boss and i said hey i think i could do this a couple ways um you know i don't know anyway yeah i gave him kind of a couple examples of of like what i was thinking i could do and i wasn't quite sure what to do um and, you know, I, I just slacked in that and he's busy, so he didn't respond immediately. And I just kind of went with one solution. Uh, but eventually he got back to me and was like, you should probably do this, which was great because... Um, that was the solution you went with. <laughs> it, no, actually, it wasn't, but... Um, <laughs> so it's not that great? <laughs> well, it, it ended up being okay. The pull request that I sent in, he ended up, like, merging it and it, he didn't... I said, I asked specifically, like please take a look at this carefully. I want to know, you know, if this works or not. I don't want to, you know, submit something bad. It was fine. Anyway, it wasn't his solution. (laughs) So, but my point in in telling that is uh, I didn't know what to do exactly, right? I went with something for the time being. He messaged me like an hour and a half later when I had already written most of it. Um, But like, I think for me, from my perspective of not being at like, some main person in the decision-making process a lot of times uh it's great to be able to make a decision whether it's small or large you know it could affect the company it could affect the direction of the app uh but also decisions can just be made about you know a feature or a bug or something like that i'm not sure if i'm getting my point across here very well no no it's a it's a great introduction to what i wanted to talk about as a whole actually um so the way i see it there are kind of like four levels of like the good kind of question to ask when you need a decision to be made because as you said like either it's a bug and you're not sure how to implement it or uh perhaps even there's a set of trade-offs you either choose okay we're gonna mess up in this way or we're gonna mess up in that way and which one is the better way to mess up because there's no good solution right um there's only like uh, what what would cause the least amount of pain perhaps um, but that's like a very 
like you can get to the very edge of it's totally ambiguous and there are two directions we can go or more um and you really don't know which to take um so i'd say there are like four ways that you can go ahead and ask a question like this um the mo- the the most okay one is just to ask like hey we have this problem how do you want to solve it and just leave sure. it there don't offer any like potential routes uh right. and just like leave it uh leave it up to the other person to then like recompute everything perhaps not take all the context into account um and uh potentially derail the whole problem <laughs> And not actually get to a, a solved solution. Uh, but once they make a decision, then that's a decision that has to be followed. Uh, so you're kind of stuck with it. So that's why I call that the okay solution. Because it might go the way that is helpful to answering the question that you were actually trying to ask. Or mm-hmm. it might just get derailed and go in a completely opposite direction. Which is not not really helpful. Um, and then there's... The a, a good way of asking, which is kind of what you propose of like having multiple scenarios, like, hey, we have this problem, we can either do this, this, or this, um, and uh, use that as a way of guiding the conversation. Um, and it might end up being one of those solutions, it might end up being a th- another solution that you didn't think of, uh, but it still adds quite the mental burden on the person that needs to ask the question because they still need to rebuild the context from your solutions. Like they do have more context here. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, that is like a partial like uh, way of getting of like, at least guiding it to a way that's going to answer your original question, whether you knew how to ask it or not. Right. Um, my, my preferred quick solution is like the better approach here is to offer a default answer um so ask the question in a way where you say like i'm going to go ahead and fix this problem by doing this mm-hmm. um okay. and and like let me know if i should stop <laughs> like in other words their decision is very easy let you continue or stop um and then if you stop then you can go ahead and continue uh do and and continue hashing it out but uh that kind of simplifies the amount of work that the receiver of like the decision needs to like process especially if they're busy and they don't have all the context in mind they might mm-hmm. just be like yeah that solution seems fine um it, it solves it solves the the problems at hand for now and then it lets us go back to it in the future it depends on like what the proposed solution you're offering is uh but in general that will lead to less mental burden and get to a faster result and then at the very top is the like best where you write a whole document uh, that potentially outlines uh, y- the reasons why you came to your conclusion, why you didn't want to go with any alternatives uh, and things like that. Um, that is something that can be a good thing or a bad thing. It can be a good thing if people have time to process everything. It can be a bad thing if there's no time because lots of text means that very few people are going to read it um or read it like right away so if you need something done quickly i would forego all that and just offer like hey i want to do this um or i'm going to do it like this uh like holler if if this is not what 
uh, you think will be good for uh, the product. Because at the end of the day, like we as developers, we're being hired to like think and make decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not so much a clear cut like, hey, uh, here's the code you need to program program it <laughs> sure, right sure. <laughs> like that would that would alleviate the need to make decisions sure but it's also doing the work already um and what reminds me of that is like uh government specs like if you have a, a government job and they give you this handbook of like this is exactly what we need at that point there's no real like need for the developer anymore uh if you think about it, because they programmed it in a different wordage uh to like their spec they may have never run it so they don't know what kind of gotchas uh exist but they did all the work so therefore there's no decisions to be made anymore uh and generally most people don't have that kind of job so we end up needing to make decisions no matter where we are in the in the org hierarchy of where we work right yeah for sure that I really like these kind of four steps because they seem to sort of build upon each other in the sense of, well, it's a, it's like a scale, right? You're you're putting in more work for the person or people that are kind of receiving the information to do less work, and I think that's probably a super important thing um, in general. But like for me, my time is worth less than my boss's time, right? Or if you're saying, uh, hey. Uh, you blasted out to the entire team. Now you're taking up X amount of people's time as opposed to just yours. So as, mm-hmm. as long as you can. Yeah. I would say, I would step back what you said there, where your time is worth less than your job, than your boss's time. Uh, that should be the opposite. Like in any well-structured organization, your manager's time is worth less than your time. Your time is the most valuable. You are the most expensive resource to getting something working and it's their job to make sure you use that time most effectively so but he's also developing a developer yeah so that's that's a more complicated nuance Uh, but in general i would say like anyone in a a development position your time is absolutely valuable that's why you are hopefully paid well um to compensate for that and the best use of your time rather than twiddling your thumbs after asking a question then waiting an hour for a response, you can spend a little bit more time like prepping that question uh, so it becomes more constructive. And at the same time, you are problem solving uh, the problem at mm-hmm. hand during that process. Like you're doing a lot of the mental workload uh, that someone is going to need to do anyways. Uh, so instead of just waiting, uh, you can go ahead and use that time responsibly. Yeah, no, for sure. And like you said in that third one, it's like, I'm going to go ahead with this. So I'm not wasting my time just sitting here waiting for an answer. And, you know, you can get back to me in your own time and, and let me know if it's not the right thing or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's super cool. And along with that, I think, you know, as far as I guess this is more for like a larger decision. Um, but perhaps, you know, it, it could be applicable to the uh, smaller, you know, a bug fix or how to work on the story or something is... Um, I think you mentioned this earlier, but making sure that you like think through the problem and bring up your ambiguities and and concerns at the earliest stage possible. And I'm just reminded of, um, I'm sure I've told this on, on the podcast before, but like I had an app I was working on and I 
didn't figure out if it was even possible before I started writing it. And I, you know, spent a couple of weeks and, you know, it wasn't possible or at least it wasn't possible for me at the time or whatever it was. I didn't really think about that ambiguity. And so taking that into account of, you know, decision making on a company wide scale or the app wide scale, um, you don't want to, I think, waste your time. You don't want to waste your, your entire team's time. Um, so as, as if you can get through that problem solving process of making sure, um, is this possible? Um, is this the right way to go about it? Kind of like we've talked about, um, that's going to be better for everyone. And you're not, I don't know. I think you can go into, I think a lot of this is just the planning stage, right? Making sure that you have a good plan before you dive into things. And that's been something that has helped me in both my own apps now that I've kind of gone through that lesson myself is the more time you spend planning, uh, the less time it will, you know, exponentially decrease the amount of time that you spend developing the app because you're not sitting there trying to think through something when you're in the thick of it. Right. And you, you're, yeah. you can't tre- see the trees through the forest or whatever. Um, but if you can step back and say, okay, these are the problems I need to solve in whatever context, uh, then you can kind of dive in with a much more structured plan and be able to sort of uh, systematically go through those things and not get lost in the process, I think, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And this goes whether you are the one planning like the next uh, big feature for an app on a team or if you are just one of the people that will be implementing it and you're not one of the decision makers. Um, something I highly dislike uh when i am working on a project is to waste my own time down the line uh Mm. so i will actively be part of those planning processes not so much in an uninvited uh sense like i won't just like show up when (laughs) no one wants uh but i will ask like hey can i be part of uh the planning process for this um and oftentimes that's met like amicably and i can be there uh, and although many people like to think of like, oh, meetings are a waste of time, like you can you can certainly guide uh, what you want to get out of it to an extent, uh, depending on your team, of course. Uh, and I will often very oftentimes use this time to surface any ambiguities that I can spot immediately. And of course, it takes it takes experience to be able to spot these things like at a glance without even any code having been run. Uh, But it is a very, very useful uh, skill to build up over time. And it's one that I'd say most developers will get automatically just like by force of habit of doing uh, you will get better and better at uh, identifying these things because you know, the frameworks like uh, Mm -hmm. better and better over time. Uh, and the moment you start using a new framework, then all of a sudden you have a ton of like unknowns. Uh, but you can use that time to say, hey, I don't know how SwiftUI, for instance, is going to handle this. Um, do we have a plan B if it doesn't work? Uh, right. Things like that. I was just going to say in that, you know, <laughs> again, maybe a little controversial, but like doing that in, in meetings and kind of like making decisions by committee where maybe you have domain knowledge of SwiftUI and someone else have dom- has domain knowledge of AV Foundation. They're like, you know, you say, 
you know, we need to do this. Is this even possible? And it kind of relies on whatever X framework side. Uh, if someone with that domain knowledge is there and kind of actively participating, like, you know, if you're being a part of those meetings and it's not just, I don't know, non-developers making decisions, but you can say, yes, this is actually feasible or, you know, that's actually impossible, uh, would definitely be a good thing. And I agree that, um, you know, meetings aren't generally super fun or whatever, but, um, I've started getting in on a couple, um, of our own planning meetings for a couple things. And it's been really cool to, I, and I've really just kind of sat in the back figuratively of the zoom room and not really talked much because they don't have much to offer, but I, I have enjoyed being a part of it and knowing what's going on, what features are going to be there. And there were a couple other developers in there that were kind of, uh, we were going through a list of, of, uh, features. And it was cool to, to talk. It was both, I think there were like three developers and a couple of uh, non-developers there. And we went through a bunch of features and the other two were, other two developers were saying, yes, that's totally feasible. We can do that easily. And it was cool to see this like pairing of both sides of the coin and, and you know, the non-developers saying, this is what we want to do. And the developers over here saying, yep, we can totally do that. No, that's not really that possible. It would be, it would take us a couple of months to do that or whatever it is. And, um, again, be a part of that planning process where you can maybe, um, either scope out the project or at the very least, um, prioritize what things to work on. Yeah. Meetings are a lot more fun when you actively participate in them and uh -huh. they can be, they can be grueling if you think that they don't involve you. Um, so one way to flip that is to involve yourself, right? <laughs> um, and to make make yourself a stakeholder in it. Uh, and therefore you care like what decisions get brought up and what decisions come out of it. Um, and that's not to say that you your idea is the only good idea. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not about choosing your idea. It's about... Mm. Uh, picking the best results for your customers and for your users totally. um, and identifying that result. So uh, don't get disheartened if you like suddenly want to try taking part in this process and then being immediately shut down for this or that. Uh, instead, try to ask like, why is your potential solution bad for like or worse for the user than the one that was chosen? And hopefully that can guide uh, the answer away from you as being the bad idea maker and more towards uh, what aspects did you not think about uh, that the other solution did? Or even like maybe that's a good opportunity to point out some flaws in the solution that was still chosen and mm -hmm. to still uh, try to identify a an even better one. So uh, it's oftentimes never personal when someone doesn't like what, uh, oh, yeah. what gets brought up. Uh, but... Uh, it helps to have a toolbox to not feel attacked during that process because then you're just going to want to not be part of the meetings again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, a couple things there. For me, the first thing was it, when I started, you know, my like professional career and even, um, well, yeah, mostly I think in my professional career, <clears throat> I felt like I had to say things just to 
be a part of the conversation, even if it wasn't really anything of substance, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but like, there are times where like, I want to say something and I just like, I know it's going to turn out bad. I don't know how to describe this very well, but, um, it, maybe it's just, I know it's not constructive, but again, I'm just trying to say something to say something. Um, mm -hmm. and if it's not really contributing to the conversation, then you're not doing much good. Um, but then another part is like you said, if you're getting shut down or, you know, they, they don't go along with your idea, you know, think about you're all working in a team and you're all trying to work towards the same goal. And so it's not, um, on a personal level of like, oh, Dimitri's solution is better than mine or mine is better than Dimitri's solution or whatever. It's more along the lines of hopefully everyone has their eye towards, uh, the prize of whatever goal you're trying to achieve is, whether that's uh, planning a new feature or, or in any scope or context it is, um, they're just trying to make the product better. And so I agree with Dimitri, definitely don't take it on a personal level when something that you suggest or uh, whatever gets ignored or shut down. Mm -hmm. And and one more aspect to this, which I think is a, is a good... Uh, way of framing things the more heated the discussion the more people care uh, that's all <laughs> it comes down to like they care about the product being good uh, and they care about having a say in it uh, and if if it gets heated that's because they care it's not because they hate you <laughs> it's it's uh, purely the opposite so uh, if if there are some sparks flying uh, it's it's purely because they care and not because of anything else so uh, try to approach it from their point of view and you might see what points that they're trying to make more clearly. Um, and at the end, like there is a better solution that encompasses all of the problems that people are bringing up. Um, oftentimes people like to solve or to bring up the problem by uh, mentioning a solution. And oftentimes that's maybe not the best way to go about it um, because then you don't see the problem. No one else may see the problem. Uh, they just see that the solution that you're trying to bring up and the problems with it. So uh, if it gets to that point, it's a good thing to take a step back and mention those problems and list them out and try to see, hey, is there a solution that encompasses all or most of these um, in a way that's best for the user, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, maybe they do do that exact thing, but if you, they bring up the problem, I think that, gives you the opportunity to come up with solutions like you're saying. Um, and I think another thing with that is, um, I don't know if it's happened lately or even if at my current job, but I have had meetings before where they were probably pretty unproductive. And I think, you know, you can come away from a, a meeting and say, well, that wasn't very helpful. Let's, you know, think about it on our own or whatever. And, maybe that's easier for someone to come up with a solution on their own, um, on their own time, I suppose, if they're still working or whatever. But um, for me, I generally will want to take notes and try to formulate something on my own rather than in the moment, if that makes sense. Like for me personally, it's hard to process everything in a meeting and also yeah, it, I mean, it's hard enough for me to stay up 
with the meeting. And that's something I definitely need to work on. Um, so for me, it's been nice to come away from a meeting and I've often taken notes or just listened or whatever. But then like in our development channel in Slack said, you know, in regards to our meeting, I have some thoughts now or whatever, when maybe mm -hmm. I didn't in the meeting. That was, that was really long winded. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. No, no, absolutely. Because oftentimes uh, a more bracketed time slot is not enough to come to and process all mm -hmm. uh, your thoughts on something. Um, and it's a good enough time that it brought everyone together to surface the thoughts that they had. Uh, so if that helps surface something later, definitely do bring it up. Um, and thankfully now we have tools like Slack where everyone is yeah. kind of always there. Um, and it's not something that you have to group a whole bunch of people in and have another meeting necessarily. Um, so they have their uses and we're transitioning, I guess, away from a workplace um, kind of like force of habit of like, hey, if we want to get everyone's opinion, we need to hold a meeting because then we know everyone's there and we sure. can make a good opinion that way. Uh, but nowadays, like we only need to do that when we really need everyone's opinion other times we have a, an asynchronous way of getting at that yeah which i guess brings me into a, another point that i often uh come up against uh and i've mentioned this a ton while i was teaching uh don't bring up things and make decisions in private because that will seclude the thought process that went into it to the private, con like the members of that private conversation rather than the team as a whole. Uh, and it will make it harder for others to down the line know why a certain decision was made. Like they can't search for it at that point. They weren't involved. It was uh, done completely separately. So as much as possible, uh, try to make decisions in a public medium, uh, like a public channel on Slack um, or whatever tool you use as a team. Uh, so that way, like, one, the decision-making process was uh, recorded for later, because that mm -hmm. is oftentimes very useful. Um, and I think this goes doubly so for meetings. Like, oftentimes meetings will not be recorded. No one will mm -hmm. have taken notes. Uh, and therefore, like, no one can reflect on that down the line. Uh, and that's kind of a shame, because then you can't refer to it if you forget. Uh, no one can jump in and start helping out. Uh, and there's all sorts of limitations there. So as much as possible, do try to uh, do this decision-making process in in a public, more public setting. Of course, private to your company, but a more public yeah. setting uh, that involves all your entire team rather than just a subset of them or just one other individual. Yeah, I agree. I want to ask, and, and maybe this is, maybe it's not as clear cut, Um but I think for sure we could say make decisions in public within the company for large overarching things. But, you know, I'm sure there's a line where it's like, oh, I'm working on this bug. I don't need to um, let everyone know my implementation on Slack, for example, of, of how to fix this bug. But it'll be in the pull request so they can take a look at it there. Is that Does that make sense? Like, I think you could maybe overload a little bit with like very very small decisions that 
are somewhat um, trivial, if that makes sense. I disagree. I still think okay. it should be done publicly. Um, okay. But here's a tool to do that w- without like annoying everyone. Uh, Slack has a tool like Threads, for instance. So oftentimes, what I'll do is I'll I'll do a colon thread to get the little nice little thread mm-hmm. icon uh, emoji, and then I will just put the topic of the thread um, of like what I want to discuss. Like, hey, uh, constraints in ShareSheet, uh, and that's. It, that's all I'll write, hit enter, and then make a thread out of that, and yeah. then put my long-winded uh, kind of decision-making uh, thought process uh, in okay. there. Um, and that way, uh, if someone cares about auto layout, and they probably know a much better way of solving it than the one person you were going to involve that you didn't even realize that they cared about it, can jump in. Um, otherwise, they can't. Like, you've excluded Mm -hmm. them from the process completely until the time you wrote an entire PR and they're like, well, I'm not going to say now that this should be done completely differently um, because it's kind of too late. Like they're not the ones that did the work there. It would be, uh, it would be inefficient of them to say, you need to redo the work for a small difference in opinion on, on that when at the end of the day, your solution works, right? Um, Even if it's not the most optimal. So I, I think it's always better uh, to uh, use a public setting, even if it like surfaces your own like deficiencies. Uh, and I think that's the hardest for people to kind of publicly say like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing with uh, <laughs> sure, this kind sure. of thing. And they don't want to like uh, the more senior they are, the more the less they want to kind of let people know that that, that is a, a weakness of theirs. Um, and I think that works against everyone, uh, when they do that. Um, because like oftentimes like the decision can benefit everyone, like at the end of the day. Uh, and if anyone comes and asks me, I'm like, Hey, can we go ahead and discuss this in this public channel? Like, yes, not everyone's on it, but we can mention them and bring them in temporarily if we need to. Mm -hmm. Like there's no harm there. You can always make new channels in Slack and archive them again. So uh, I, I definitely think that is uh, something that takes a lot of mental effort to get used to, but it is overwhelmingly more benefit. I would say if there's ever a reason to use DMs in Slack is if you're asking something that's personal, um, that has nothing to do with the project. Excellent. That's uh, don't don't bother everyone with that and sure. don't even mention it publicly if it doesn't if it doesn't need to be mentioned publicly. Uh, if you need to give criticism to someone, like say like, hey, uh, I I feel hurt that you made so and so decision, for instance, privately. Don't do that publicly. Um, uh, but if you need to like conversely praise their efforts, don't do it privately. Don't like right. say, hey, I just want to say you did such a good job on this. Like say that, do that publicly. Hey, I just want to say that so and so did such a good job on this. Um, and like, uh, let's do more of that. Um, so yeah, don't, don't use DMS for anything that is related to like coming to a conclusion on any part of the project, because that very oftentimes can benefit everyone. I think. That's really interesting. I, I actually really like that. And I'm glad that you disagreed with me. Um, now I get a blast you on Twitter publicly. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
Um, but I think it goes back to, and we're kind of coming full circle here, where um, that's an ambiguity and that it could be brought up earlier uh, in my own workflow, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm in that sense, I've not really practiced what I'm preaching here, where you could bring it up earlier. Um, I, I, and sometimes I like, you don't know about it, right? It, it yeah. comes up later because you just didn't think about it. And that's totally fine. And I, I, okay, so this is where I'm struggling here a little bit. And maybe, like, for example, if it's like a one line bug fix, I don't feel like I need to bring that up, right? Yeah. Or am I wrong? Definitely. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, the, it will take less time for you to make a PR and someone to comment there than exactly. for you to, like, mention in Slack and wait. So, but if it's totally something longer, like... a little bit more complex, then, mm -hmm. um, yeah, okay. That's cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing that, and uh, I'll report back in, uh, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, and see how it goes. Um, so we have that SpongeBob two weeks later, yes, uh, exactly. kind of narration, and then it's like this was chaos. <laughs> it I got did not fired. go as planned. <laughs> I am now looking for employment. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think it's really cool, and I'm glad you mentioned it, and I, I I'm glad that we can kind of you know publicly discuss this right on on the podcast to get mm -hmm. other people's opinions on this and see i'd actually love to hear from anyone um if they do a similar thing or um if you want to publicly or just you know in your head uh commit to trying this out with me at your own job to be a little bit more public about decisions even if they are small like bug fixes or small stories or whatever um i think it'll be an interesting kind of experiment in in a couple senses one um i i think my only worry but it probably is pretty unfounded as i think about this is i don't want to bother everyone on the team by putting a message uh, like a thread into the development channel but also um they can just ignore it like i don't want to make people feel exactly. obligated to respond if that makes sense so I'll, I'll probably like as i start doing this like put out a message and say like hey i'm gonna try this new thing where i'm a little bit more public don't feel obligated mm -hmm. to you know what i mean because that's that's my worry is like again i want to take up less time for for everyone especially if i'm putting it out on a public channel and i'm like blasting this out to eight people i don't want to you know multiply the amount of time that we're all working on a single problem by eight potentially does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that's that's where the previous things that we mentioned come in. Like if you, as a first thing of your little thread, say, hey, I'm planning on doing it this way, most people can click into sure. it, notice that you're going to do something that seems reasonable, and ignore the rest of it, right? They're not part of that thread. They're not even going to get involved unless they reply, at which point they will be looped in and they'll get or whatever Slack does, yeah. uh, the maracas to 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 be notified that they should they should kind of keep up with it right um and that's the courtesy of doing a thread like that uh rather than doing a, f a whole bunch of messages in the channel mm -hmm. um where slack will just not shut up at that point and it will just keep making noises <laughs> and uh keep bothering everyone uh especially if people have their notifications turned on because they want to be notified if something comes up so um, doing the thread approach, I think, is very low on the annoyance bar for most people um, sure. because they can notice when something new comes in, uh, but not engage if they don't want to. 
Yeah. It's it's not like email where you we now are inundated with like spam. There's no spam in the channel per se. So I would say most members of the team would be open to like knowing when new stuff gets added. They just don't want to have incessant like uh slack noises when nothing new is being added to the conversation, right? Yeah. If that makes any sense. So uh, I think threading is a very good courtesy to uh, build up uh, if you want to do something like this. Like, even if it's, uh, if you post, like, your problem and then you say a potential solution, then you start a thread, like, that's two messages already. That's uh, that's uh, more annoying than a single, like, very one-liney thread th- starter and then just jump in there to have your whole paragraph. Right. So I guess if you had like multiple of those going at the same time, would you call it multi-threading? Exactly. You're multitasking there. Hey! So uh, I guess this leads uh, back to what you were uh, originally like uh, mentioning when when we were starting off this topic. And uh, it's, I, I get asked often, when is it okay to kind of overstep your bounds as as a, a, a developer lower on the totem pole, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. Um, because oftentimes, if you're hired as a junior developer, you don't want to be making any decisions uh, on your own. You want someone else to be making those scary decisions, and then you just following along as you start building up your own experience and getting to that point. So um, something that I was asked is, when is it okay to kind of overstep your bounds? And as... As someone with tons of experience, I would say, all like it's always okay. Like push push those boundaries as much as possible. Um, if if someone doesn't like you, they'll they'll let you know. Uh, but until then, like keep pushing. Um, and uh, I realize that that's that's harder for some than others. Like as as a uh, white male, that is an easy thing for me to say. Um, but it doesn't. I don't want to say that others shouldn't do it either. Um, even though if they, even though they might get more, um, uh, what's and antagony uh, for doing so, if that makes any sense. Uh, so it do what you are comfortable with, of course. But if you are presented with the opportunity to just like you're not getting a response, uh, everything is is kind of just uh, not well planned. Uh, go ahead and forge the path because no one else seems like they're doing it. And I've seen this oftentimes in uh, client projects where not everything is necessarily planned ahead of time. It's like very loosey-goosey. Like someone someone, uh, is proud of their Figma skills and they made a whole bunch of screens for you to follow and they take nothing into account. Um, And you as a developer, even with very little experience, can immediately tell like, hey, like there are holes all over this place. Um, and those same teams may be horrible at asynchronous work, meaning uh, they will not check Slack until the next day, at which point if you ask anything, you are just sitting there twiddling your thumbs right. and not getting anything productive done. Uh, that is not useful for the project, right? Uh, so in those situations, I, th- I think it is absolutely okay for you to kind of test the waters the first few times, notice that things are not going to be productive by you asking anything uh, and to just go forward with it um does that does that sound like it makes sense 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know if this is a great example, but again, going back to what I was doing earlier this week, like I gave a couple example solutions and then I waited for about five minutes for a response and I, he didn't respond, which honestly I wasn't really expecting him to. Um, and then I just started working. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do something. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's on a much like lower kind of scale than potentially what you're talking about. But I agree, you know, if you're, if, man, I, that would drive me crazy if it took people an entire day for me to, to respond to me on Slack. I'm glad I don't have a team like that. But um, yeah, I mean, doing something is better than doing nothing. If you're just sitting there, you're just wasting your time where you could be coming up with potential solutions. Um, maybe it's not the solution you go with, but if you are doing something that can at least drive the conversation and the decision-making process forward, and, or you can maybe um, start working on it and say, yeah, this is this is what I came up with. I ran into X, Y, and Z issues or, or things to think about. Mm-hmm. It's a net gain overall. Maybe it's not exactly what you end up doing, but um, I don't know if that's quite what you're going for, but yeah. No, absolutely. And even in your situation where you waited five minutes, like if you followed up in that thread and say like, hey, I'm starting with solution X, um, then that puts more urgency on others to uh, kind of mention, like they might not know that you started or not. So they're like, Oh, go with solution Z. Mm, um, I think that will be best. But if you say I'm starting with solutions, like five minutes have passed starting with solution X. Uh, and at that point, they're now going to gear their mental processes to thinking about solution X more and maybe finding a better way to make that work. Uh, rather than saying, Oh, that was not the right one at all. Not because it was or wasn't, just because they liked Solution Z more. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you often, I guess you often hear the phrase of, like, just do it and then ask for forgiveness later. Um, that always works. Like, never will it not work, especially in a business setting, because everyone's so busy that yeah. no one is going to uh, care about... Uh, care about uh what's what's that word uh making sure that you are punished for doing something that you weren't supposed to do if you have more or less the product's best interests uh in your head like oftentimes uh big companies they don't actually care about things like security they care about passing the audit they don't care about the security right um and that leads to like perverse and motivations where you can break the security to get your work done very quickly and then put it back in place. Um, and you can keep doing that as long as you are careful about it. Like if, if you end up being the, the reason why uh, something, um, uh, something breaks and is not noticed and all your users information is hacked, uh, then that could potentially become more trouble than you were signing up for. But if you had the best intentions in mind uh, and needed to get something done, then oftentimes like you won't get reprimanded for that. Uh, and it's something that, unfortunately, 
gets encouraged because everyone's left waiting for everyone else to make decisions and nothing uh, will move forward. So uh, if you need to, do it and ask for forgiveness later. Uh, try not to repeat the same mistake more than once if you do. Um, and generally, I would say you will be fine. If you are so uh, low on the totem pole of experience that you are given the keys to make a disastrous move, that's not your fault. Uh-huh. It will never be your fault because, like, that is irresponsible. Like, to to give keys to, uh, say, in a, in a different analogy, give keys to a toddler and say, uh, go pick up your your brother from school or something like uh-huh. that is never going to end well, no yeah. matter what, what you do about it. Um, and you might think, Oh, it's okay when there's no one on the road to have them in your lap to pretend to learn how to drive. And like over a 15 year process, you get to the point where they, they can drive at that point. That's one thing. Uh, but if you just go ahead and hand them the keys and not even be in the car, that is not their responsibility. Um, and there are much worse analogies I can think of that happen every day in this, uh, wonderful country of ours. Um, but like the, it's, it's down to the, the responsible ones to make sure that those that don't have the experience dealing with something don't touch on stuff that they shouldn't be touching. Um, so once again, I will, I will go back and say like, do it first and ask for forgiveness later um and learn in that process like you only learn by doing mistakes um just try not to do the same mistake more than once and you are making forward progress right um if every decision is outlined for you and you are never left to decide anything you're never going to learn how to decide anything right um you're not going to learn about the nuance that went into this decision or that one uh but if you make the mistake and then you now know oh i didn't think about that you're never going to forget that. <laughs> it's always going to stick with you. Um, so, yeah. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Hungry. Hungry, that's hungry with three U's, is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app to turn to when you really want to eat but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hungry hunger. Hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors. No, it has a much more humble purpose. You tell it all about your favorite restaurants, and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator, invoked by shaking your phone in frustration, to make the decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, something closer, or simply another option are just a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to... Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U-N-G-R-Y on the App Store today to give it a try. So do what Hungry does. Give give a solution uh, and then a, a set of potential options to pick another solution. Uh, but that will, that will lead to a solution. Because when you're hungry, you don't know what decision you're going to pick. You're the one in charge and you don't even know. Uh, so just let someone, let someone decide for you, right? That's good. Perfect, uh, perfect match. Um, so moving on from that, <laughs> something I've been waiting a long time for actually got delivered early. Uh, and if you watch this on YouTube, you get to watch the video of me holding a box of a Mac Studio. Um, so 
this is a M1 Ultra variant of the Mac Studio, uh, a primarily chosen for its uh, lots of RAM. Uh, and I like lots of RAM because apparently any system I have that I think I get lots of RAM is not enough RAM. Um, yeah, I'm, that's, I'm that's giving that this, in a nutshell. I'm giving this like three months before you start complaining about RAM usage. <laughs> For real. Like, it's I'm okay. WWDC is right around the corner. Oh. <laughs> there will be more. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, the primary reason I got this is because I need more RAM. Like, uh, my my current M1 Max MacBook Pro, I need to slow down to enunciate that properly, uh, has 64 gigabytes. And I would say by the time a week or two passes... Everything has kind of like exhausted caches and stuff like that, and things start to slow down. Um, and I'm not saying like individual processes slow down, like compiling code is not going to be any slower. Um, but uh, making a resource available, launching an app, uh, opening a new window in Safari, which is actually launching an app under in the background. Thank you, background processes that have ruined Safari. Um, so everything now needs to like consume a large amount of ram and if you have a ton of windows open with uh your brain scattered all over it um which is what i do because i can't remember anything because i work on too many things don't do what i do uh but if you're stuck doing what i do you end up in the situation where hopefully more ram is the solution um and i'm hoping that is the case so i've owned this thing for like two days now so i don't know (laughs) if that is the case or not i've uh slowly been moving my stuff over to it i started it as a new system hoping that my curse of uh causing computers to be malfunctional uh does not carry over to it um but i i don't have high hopes um (laughs) yeah um but yeah so so you, we we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Dimitri showed me like the benchmark of his of the M1 Ultra, and it was almost exactly um, double the performance. I think it was um, mine was fifty one percent of his performance, which is you know pretty dang good as far as scaling goes. Uh, that said, mm-hmm. you have some compiling. Uh, not not issues, but it's slowing down. So I abs- I absolutely think it's an issue. So uh, in <laughs> one of the projects I use daily, um, I did I I first compiled everything to get all the caches going, yep. and then clean, compiled, clean, compiled, clean. Okay, did that a few times to make sure everything is good. I quit Xcode, restarted, brand new thing, compiled, clean one more time just to make sure. Okay, everything is in the best possible case, right? Um, then I did the same thing, a clean compile. Um, on my laptop, which is an M1 Max, uh, and I got 32 seconds for a clean build of the current Xcode project that I work on daily. Um, and this has like a variety of uh, Swift Package Manager dependencies, um, a fair amount of like code for the app itself. So it's it's a decent Swift project. Uh, I did the same thing on the M1 uh, Ultra Mac Studio. Uh, and I got a wonderful number of 42 seconds. So this is a difference of 10 seconds slower, uh, which is not exactly what I was hoping for when I got a computer with double the amount of cores. Um, yeah. So I don't know what's going on here. This is definitely suspect. 
uh, because I would have expected at least the same speed. Um, I wasn't expecting it to get twice as fast. Like I was like, would have been excited if it went from 32 to 25, for instance. Uh, but there is definitely something uh, awry here. And I don't know if it's just a different version of the package dependencies that got uh, downloaded um, or if it's something wrong with the build settings I've inherited for 20 years on the laptop that I did not inherit here. So um, I guess I got cursed in a different way by trying to avoid my curse. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If you have any ideas, like shoot them towards me because yeah, I'm yeah. out. No, I think it's interesting I try- too because I mean, they are two M1 Maxes just glued together, right? Magic magic yeah. glue, but glue nonetheless. Um, not to mention, you've got two giant, comparatively giant fans in the studio that in theory could, you know, thermally keep that thing cooler, thus increasing clock speed and everything. So I agree. I think there's something a little funky there. I'm interested. Like I kind of, when he posted this originally in our, in our Slack group, I said like that spotlight was indexing. Um, and that's the issue. And I honestly, honestly, I wonder if it is, like you said, some just like set up, you know, system processes running in the background. If you try this in a week or two, if it's going to fix it or not, I don't know. No, no, honestly, it could be, it could be that, that silly. And I'm not talking about spotlight, like eating up, uh, CPU resources, because if you've ever, if you've ever taken a look at, uh, an M1 max, like background process list they all run on those efficiency cores Mm -hmm. not the performance cores whereas a compile will just saturate the uh, performance cores um as much as possible and what i noticed is it only saturated eight of them (laughs) it did not saturate the other eight uh so uh i don't know what's going on there uh i did notice that auth zero which is one of the dependencies we have jumped from 10 seconds to 20 seconds which is not great. No. Um, I also know that the order in which files are compiled, which is not determined when you do Swift Package Manager, it can be uh, potentially random, uh, is different between the two. So maybe that is causing like such mm. a discrepancy, which means that, hey, uh, a processor is not the only thing that will make your compiles faster, just ordering your code differently. Yeah. Uh, ordering the files that will be compiled differently uh, can can achieve a huge amount of difference. Um, so yeah, I really, I really don't know what's going on there. <clears throat> that said, my primary use of getting, uh, the machine was to have lots of Ram. Uh, so, so far so good. Like I, I have, I set menus and a little pie chart of Ram was like using a tiny little sliver. And I was like, so happy For now. Uh, on every system I, I use like here on this iMac pro it's currently, uh, it's currently uh, almost at the. 95 percent mark um on that little pie chart and sure the memory pressure is at 14 percent, but that still means that a fair amount of it is compressed a fair amount of it um is not immediately available and when it's not immediately available it takes some time to wake stuff up like in safari if you need to make a new window it needs to make a new process it needs to launch that process and that takes four seconds um with the everything that it needs to do offload other windows move this or that around like there's all sorts of things that uh the system needs to do in those 
uh, four seconds, but it takes it takes time, unfortunately. Um, and uh, yeah, that drives me nuts. So um, I'm hoping that having 128 gigs like really helps in that situation, and it's no longer needing to compress, uncompress, uh, move resources around, make space for just like one more uh, window. Um, I'm hoping that this does not ruin me permanently from being able to use any other system, uh, which it probably will. Um, that said, like once again, I will repeat, uh, my habits were formed on an G3 iBook, and I can swear that was more performant. Sure, websites were less complex, but that was more performant with my insane habits of having tons of windows open than modern computers, which uh, I think... I don't think is, like, memory bias of, like, what I used to think was better or not. I I sincerely do uh, think that something has gone wrong uh, with how Apple's prioritizing resources uh, with regard to potentially most people using laptops, most people only using, like, one window at a time, uh, full screening, and that being the norm and the assumption means that I am kind of left out, uh, and that sucks for me. Um, but I, I hope that it's still fixable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have high hopes. Well, it sucks for you, but it's great for Apple because you keep buying the most expensive computer they own. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, That's I, I guess I'm extra plan. worried. I'm, I, I guess I'm extra worried that I'm going to get to a point where I like buy two terabytes of RAM and only 500 gigs are going to be used, and Safari is going to now take four seconds to open a new window. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be like, okay, what's the what's the bottleneck here, right? Yeah. It wasn't like money is no longer solving the issue of just like buying more RAM to like make the space available, and something else is becoming a bottleneck that it's not like the CPU cores are saturated. No, they're quiet. Um, and it's just like, nope, making a new window and t- taking a lot of time. So, uh, maybe one day I'll, I'll turn off system integrity protection and like hook it up in instruments and like really find out what on earth is going on. Um, because interesting. <clears throat> it's just, it's maddening. Um, but yeah, the amount of time I've lost to just that over the course of months and years, I think is significant. Like, honestly speaking, more significant than speeding up my compile times for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of other, like, uh, th- uh, other uh, notes on the Mac Studio itself, I enjoy the fact that it has lots of ports. Um, I, I used a ton of them, and I didn't even use all of them. Um, the Wi-Fi, for whatever reason, maybe it's because I, like, moved it behind the monitor... Uh, maybe it's because I put my laptop more or less in front of it. Um, it was not great. Like it took an hour to download Homebrew, and that felt miserable. I don't know if uh, <laughs> GitHub was down. I did a speed test, and I got like two hundred something megabits uh, over Wi-Fi. Um, so it wasn't like horrible. <clears throat> it wasn't horrible, but uh, it did certainly seem like. Uh, something was taking its time because Homebrew was showing the download speed as like 500 kilobits per second. And I'm like, mm, that was not nice. Uh, so I don't know if that was my network. I don't know if that was uh, the Wi-Fi. I don't know if that was GitHub being slow at serving mm-hmm. files. Who knows? 
but I did very much enjoy the fact that I can plug in an Ethernet to the back of it into my Switch that's nearby, and now I have a 10 gig connection to my home network. So uh, that was something that I could not do on the laptop without getting a whole bunch of extra boxes and dongles and extra cables for cats to chew. Uh, so um, yeah, now that's just all plugged in. Uh, there's two ports on the front that I don't even need to reach for uh, that I could use at any moment in time. So that's very nice. Um, the camera that was plugged into the XDR just connected to the Mac since I just like swapped one cable around and that was uh, very nice. Uh, so definitely big thumbs up to having lots of ports. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not used all of them yet. I'm sure I eventually will. Um, but uh, much better situation than on my laptop where I used all three Thunderbolt ports and I was like, I would really like a fourth for the sporadic like connecting an iPhone to the the computer but no we got an hdmi port instead so uh that's a trade-off uh that i don't need to care about anymore so now i have a laptop full of ports and a mac studio with even more ports uh that are still unused uh so that was that was good um something i was hoping would go away is uh i have lots of monitors connected you can maybe see it if you're watching youtube right here uh to my laptop i have uh, two vertical ones that are kind of like wings around one uh, landscape uh, Pro Display XCR. And I noticed every time I woke my laptop up, uh, the laptop was kind of like snuggled beneath the XCR between the two wings. Um, I noticed uh, every time I woke my laptop up, the computer would take some time to like know where to position even the unlock screen. So the unlock screen would not be where the monitor was. It was kind of like offset and you'd have black all over the place and then color desktop background and like type your password in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took a while for it to like put it back in place. Uh, And then you log in and then it took a while for all the windows to go back in place. Uh, And sometimes the computer would get confused and be like, were your windows on this vertical monitor or were they on this vertical monitor? And everything just gets swapped every like few weeks uh, and that is like good luck remembering where you put stuff, mm-hmm. um, especially when you have the crazy uh, habit of having tons of windows open and actually knowing roughly where you like drag them is like, oh, the windows over here for this, the windows over here for that. It's like, forget about it. Um, so I was hoping, hoping that with a uh, desktop computer, the computer would not think, oh, let me move all the windows to the laptop screen right yeah, yeah, yeah when we sleep and then put it back like maybe that's a functionality that's commented out or whatever uh but no uh when you have a desktop uh the computer will still have your login window offset from where the screen is and you'll have black borders all around it and then uh, a colored desktop somewhere where it says enter your password slash use touch id um and then once you wake it up uh, some windows will like realize that they're being looked at like little cockroaches in a drawer and then jump in place as far as uh uh they're they were never uh misplaced to begin with and uh that does not give me hope uh that apple has their multi-monitor situation uh fixed up and this is with five windows i am not talking about Uh my horrendous situation of having like 50 safari windows (laughs) open this is with five things open like preferences, one Safari window, mm-hmm. trying to look up why my charger cable wasn't working, uh, and like three other things. It was not extensive by any means. Uh, this is day two of it being on. Um, I was a little worried. 
so if you are thinking of buying a Mac Studio purely to solve that problem uh, with your desktop laptop not not like liking multiple monitors correctly, it is not a solution for that. Uh, so yeah. Um, what other what other things that I notice? Uh, universal control, uh, which I had the chance to use for the first time, uh, is insanely cool. You do need so to turn cool. it on. I did not know that. I was like trying to, mm. I was like, will it work? And nothing worked. And I was like, okay. So then I poked around the system preferences, realized you need to turn it on first. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is neat. Um, that said, uh, you can reposition the screens afterwards. So you can just make it do the dumb, the dumbest connection possible and then be like, okay, I want it actually to be here. Uh, but it won't let me position my laptop between the two wings of portrait monitors that I have uh, because oh. it creates like a little cave. Um, and I want to put my laptop like in that little cave so I can just drag down mm-hmm. uh, from my main monitor to the laptop, uh, which is right below it. Uh, but it won't let me position it here. It freaks out every time and just like sends it off to the far right or something. Uh, so instead, I put my laptop on top of everything, and now I have this really awkward uh, muscle <laughs> oh memory gosh. that I'm trying to build up of like moving the mouse up, and moving it up makes it like uh, portal to the bottom of the laptop uh-huh. screen and, yeah, yeah. and move in from there. Um, I still get stuck like trying to move my mouse from the laptop upwards, and that one does not work. Uh, so I need to go back down and then bring it back down. So I have this weird hodgepodge of muscle memory that I'm building that is never going to be useful in the future. Uh, thanks to me not being able to, uh, settle my laptop screen in, inside of that little, uh, cave of monitors, uh, from the Mac studio. But alas, uh, that is just something I will likely need to live with or submit a feedback if I ever want it to be fixed. Um, and, uh, the last thing I realized is, uh, when I was like changing the volume on the Mac studio is automatically using, uh, the LG Ultra Fine that I use on the right uh, flank. Uh, and I was like, that does not sound great. So I went to System Preferences, the Sound Preferences, and I changed it to go to uh, to go to the Mac Studio. And I realized, one, the Mac Studio does not have a mic. Uh, so the mic it's now using is uh, from the camera, the little, the little ProtoSpy XDR magnetic camera. Uh, two, the ProDisplay XDR does not have speakers, which I just assumed this whole time that it did oh. because the laptop speakers were that great, I guess. Um, so yeah, it turns out this whole time I was just using the speakers and mic on my laptop. Uh, and now I'm using the speakers on the Mac Studio, uh, and the mic of the little camera. Uh, and yeah, I didn't even know the ProDisplay XDR didn't have a mic and speakers at this point. I knew it didn't have a camera because I had right. bought one. Um, but I did not know about that. So uh, if you're planning on buying a ProDisplay XDR this late in the game, uh, probably don't. Um, like I imagine a new, a new better version is coming uh, at DubDub this year. Um, but if you do really want the screen real estate slash XDR uh, stuff, uh, then do know that it's not going to come with a speaker and mic, I guess. Um, with that, how are the speakers on the studio itself? Like a Mac Mini. Not, I was gonna say like the Mac Mini has speakers, <laughs> but they're not good. <clears throat> well, the the only thing I care about the speakers for more or less is I haven't even tried like a Slack or a Zoom call on this thing. Um, but uh, hearing like bloops and bleeps mm-hmm. uh, because I have bloops and bleeps set up for when tests uh, fail or succeed because they take a few minutes, so I oftentimes do something else. Um, so. 
it helps to know if they succeeded or passed because Xcode will quickly hide that information if you're not looking. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that those sounded weird and now they sound more correct. So it sounds at least somewhat balanced compared to the laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not like amazingly uh, good in any way, I would say. Uh, yeah. But it's not bad. Yeah, I, yeah, I was uh, I kind of... As I was saying that, I was like, oh, you don't really like listen to music or anything while you're working, so not really an issue for you. Yeah. Uh, I need I need quiet when I actually... When I'm working, I will totally have background <laughs> stuff on, uh, but I'm not doing anything productive. And I will, I will admit to that here because I know no one who employs me listens, uh, but if they ever spot me working with music on or something i'm not actually working because i I can't concentrate (laughs) um if i'm trying to listen to something and then i suddenly like shift my consciousness to paying attention to the problem i'm actually trying to solve i will immediately turn everything off because i cannot like everything is noise at that point Mm -hmm. um and i will then be able to work properly but if i have something on i am not working i can guarantee you that uh, multitasking is a lie. Uh, it's uh, all about task switching. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. And as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. I have the constant churn of chonky boy so i never know if my audio is just like a mess um one day i will move it out of my recording room but yeah sorry my uh no i i don't hear it my um my home server is running in another room and it's it's like in a server chassis like it's rack mounted and the fans are so loud um but i wanted to mention it's um it's been running for 101 days straight baby Woo! Oh yeah, it's it's always good when it like works so long. Yeah, that's been nice. There, a mini comment now. All right, that's all you get. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>